welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. As states have rushed to deal with legislation surrounding names, images, and likenesses, there are a lot of folks involved to help state legislators understand the industry. It's important to state governments that they have a working partnership with higher education institutions in order to factor in their perspectives. As the NCAA's July 1st deadline approached, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania worked to get their law in place. In fact, PA became the first to allow NIL as their law went into effect on June 30th. I'm joined today by two Penn State University staff members who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to help the Commonwealth create and pass this landmark legislation. My guests are Zachary Moore and Bob Boland. Zach Moore serves as the Vice President for Government and Community Relations for Penn State, communicating to elected officials the value that Penn State provides to the people of Pennsylvania as the Commonwealth's flagship public university. Zach came to Penn State from Washington, D.C. in 2007 with lobbying and senior legislative experience in both the U.S. House and Senate. He brings his extensive legislative policy development and lobbying experience to the role of chief lobbyist for his alma mater with responsibility over federal, state, and local relations efforts. In his time with Penn State, Zach has been passionate advocate for the value of Penn State's land-grant mission. Bob Boland joined Penn State University as Athletics Integrity Officer in July 2017. In this role, he works to ensure the Athletics Department is meeting all university standards related to integrity, ethics, staff and student conduct, and welfare, as well as NCAA and Big Ten standards. The position that Bob holds, a first of its kind, was created in August 2012 in an agreement with the NCAA Big Ten and Penn State. The office holder is charged with oversight and reporting of internal and external investigations into athletics. With that agreement expiring in August 2017, the university maintained the position as part of its own broader academic integrity, excuse me, athletic integrity program. Boland chairs the university's Athletics Integrity Council, a group that brings together senior administrators and faculty to review matters related to athletics and reports to the Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer and the Board of Trustees. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. I am really looking forward to this conversation. Let's start with how this whole process works. Zach, does someone from a legislator's office reach out to you and say, hey, what is Penn State's position on this? Or does the university communicate its wishes first or both? Tell me what, tell me what you can tell me on this. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it is both. And it really is uh, dependent upon the situation. Um, you know, we have longstanding relationships uh, in the legislature um, with both uh, members of the General Assembly and their staffs. And so many times if, if a piece of legislation is moving that someone thinks might have an impact on our university, we might get a call or have a conversation in a hallway that says, hey, this, this bill is moving, it has a provision in it, what do you think about it? Um, but sometimes, and, and in this case, it was, it was the former where we actually approached the General Assembly and said, listen, we, we, we've got a bit of an issue here. We believe that this is, this is coming at us and we really believe that uh, we, would we would like to see a state law on name, image, and likeness. And so um, can, are you willing to work with us? And we, so we talked to the chairman of the Senate Education Committee 
had it sat down and had a conversation. Would you be willing to work with this on this? And he immediately said, you know, sought a meeting, asked for details. What, what would be involved? How would we do it? And we worked through it from there. So it, it does happen both ways. Um, but in this case, we, we definitely approached the General Assembly because we really kind of saw June coming and, and things happening at the national level that we didn't want to be left behind on. Did you see some items in other states' laws that you wanted to adopt and vice versa that you didn't want to adopt? Yeah, we did. We, um, we have a legislative researcher in my office, which is a relatively new position for my office. And that person really uh, earned their, their pay <laughs> during the NIL conversations because he did some benchmarking with several other bills around the country and pulled out a lot of common provisions so that we could kind of see what others were doing. I, I can't recall, you know, all of the details of that at this point, but but I just do, I do know we benchmarked, we found a lot of really good things. And, um, and then we just found a couple of areas where we thought the language and some other state laws from our perspective might've been a little confusing. And so we, um, we tried to recommend uh, a little bit cleaner language or language that would maybe fit, fit Pennsylvania law a little bit better. Was there something unique about June 30th versus July 1st? Just the June 30th is the last day of our fiscal year. And it worked out um, that, that the provision was inserted into a code bill that affects you know, public uh, institutions of education from kindergarten through, through college. And the fact that the governor signed it on the last day of the fiscal year made Pennsylvania's the first active NIL law in the country, right? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Do the legislative folks also have conversations with Duquesne, Pitt, Temple, other D1 programs in the state? Absolutely. Yeah. No, and that was that was something that we actually helped to initiate. So uh, I actually took this idea to several of my colleagues who represent other uh, larger athletic programs and um, had conversations with them. And then legislators actually even reached out to community colleges and changed one, one provision to be sure that, that the that community colleges, athletic programs potentially could take advantage of name image likeness. We hadn't even thought of that when we were in our conversations with them. So yeah, they, they did their due diligence, legislators and staff to reach out to others and uh, kind of make sure that others generally felt like the language was okay and met their needs as well. So it's available for two-year and four-year athletes in Pennsylvania. That's correct. That's very unique. I'm not sure I've heard that from other states. So that does create an even interest, more interesting dynamic. Yeah, and um, it wasn't even something that we benchmarked because we weren't, <laughs> we weren't thinking about two-year athletes, frankly. Sure. And it wasn't until, um, you know, late in the process that we learned that the community colleges had expressed an interest in making sure their, their athletes were uh, able to, to take advantage of these opportunities in Pennsylvania. And so um, obviously we didn't object to it or, you know, no, no, there would be no reason for us to object to it. But that was an interesting twist that we didn't even expect. Very much so. Bob, you have a long history in sports and the law. The amount of coordination that happened this year between universities in the state of Pennsylvania and federal representatives regarding college athletics has been unprecedented. Give our listeners a sense of what those negotiations look like. 
They certainly are unprecedented. I, I think internally, we'll, 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 we'll talk about internally, I was part of a, a, a third team that came on board. I think Zach and his team, who did extraordinary work internally, dealing mostly with the legislature and, and, and in some measure with our athletic uh, establishment, I kind of came on board at the behest of general counsel and the president, uh, kind of in the third, the third wave of people to look at it. Now, I'm probably, uh, this was probably a moment made for me because the first published paper I ever wrote, even before I went to law school, was on right of publicity and, 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 and a guy named Hugo Zucchini that got himself shot out of a cannonball and the Supreme Court recognized a, a state law right of publicity as being even supreme over First Amendment protection. So I've been in the NIL space my entire life, whether I was working as a lawyer, an agent, or a sports lawyer. Seeing this coming was a, was, a, was a moment that was great for me to be on campus. And I've probably done, if I think about it as an agent, something around 100 deals involving some, some conferring of name, image, and likeness and endorsement. So this was very interesting to me. It was also particularly interesting to me because most of my friends who are who are purely academics, as, as I used to be, uh, were almost entirely focused on the various state laws and the legality of it. In my role, I was very focused on how do we implement it in, in accord with our state law. And that's where the real great collaboration between Zach's office, athletics, and my own gave us a really good framework of a bill that's very fair, but also one that can be managed and implemented by the, by the institution, favorably to its student athlete constituents, to protect the values of the people involved. I thought that was the amazing piece of it. And, you know, on some level, athletics has always expected guidance to come from the NCAA, or they were hopeful it would come from Congress. And in the absence of that, I think that there have been a number of really very forward-thinking universities that have worked with their legislature to fill that void and do that very well. And I think we're one of them. And that makes sense. So talk to me about some of the things that you are glad you have for implementation purposes. I think we're very glad both for implementation and education that we have the, pro the prohibited categories, the idea that there are certain categories that would be defined as vice that we wouldn't want to say yes to as on behalf of the student athlete. We wouldn't our, want our student athletes to be involved with. Uh, and I think Pennsylvania defined those very clearly. Uh, I think the secondary category is the idea that as this was being implemented, none of us quite understood exactly how this would bump into existing sponsors and existing relationships that the university has. So it was a bit of a challenge um, it's a bit of a challenge to how you how you sort that out. And, and part of my work right now is actually figuring out how those things come together. But that gave us the possibility to explore those in our own time rather than opening the door and, and, and understanding, just opening them up entirely. But it gave us a chance to see how the models work together. I always thought that a lot of pressure in, in any model would be what would be a, a conflicted category, an exclusive category, and how would you relate to to other, other in, incursions into that, maybe for lack of a better word. And then I think the, finally, the final piece, and you, every university has a values proposition and that the Pennsylvania law recognizes the ability of the university to reject a, a potential NIL activity because of its values. Now, we want to apply that very, very, very sparingly 
but we still would want that. And, and we have that conversation on a, on a, on an almost weekly basis. We meet two times a week to, to look at the NIL uh, proposals that have come in through the disclosure process and move through it. I also think that but by establishing disclosure, you keep the focus on education. We have, we, we have a right under the Pennsylvania law, not so much to approve, but to potentially declare a conflict or declare a prohibited category. And I think that puts it in the proper place as we go through here. So I think that gives us a good, a good place in this process. It puts us in the right place, but it also allows us then as an institution pledged for education to, to move our educational efforts with our student athletes, with our outside activity, with our outside partners, and to really set that up that this is a way to, to get to yes, to, 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 to do a good deal, but also to understand what you're, what you're working in and how you're developing in this NIL space. What's a value for value exchange? What is something that may be something you won't be proud of in a year or two or three that you might be might be taking advantage of in the short run? So all those things are, have, been, have been really good factors, but I really would credit the collaboration uh, between athletics, which had its own view of things, um, the, the, the administration, which I sort of come out of it, and then Zach's team in relating that to government. It really did go hand in glove in getting to a law that we think at least in looking at a lot of the other state laws, I think really gives us a high level of flexibility, but also ensures a high level of integrity. And you lead me right into my next question, which is to Zach. And Zach, I'm sure that Penn State as Pennsylvania's land grant institution plays an important role in higher ed's impact on the state's education landscape and budget. And we all know there is never enough money to go around. How do you work with Penn State leaders to establish the priorities that go to Harrisburg in general? Well, it's a collaborative process. And so, um, you know, here at Penn State, uh, I have the um, good fortune of, uh, of being uh, a direct report of the president of the university. I'm a member of what we call President's Council, which is, you know, the, the vice presidents and vice provosts from the university who gather regularly to exchange information and to um, share ideas and to make decisions uh, for the university. And so that puts me in a place where I'm very much involved in a lot of the university's strategic decision-making. And so, so part of it comes down to uh, me and my team being aware of what's happening and what's possible and sometimes taking things to the president or president's council and saying, here is an opportunity. I think we should make this a priority. Um, and other times it's someone from the, anyone in the university who bubbles something up, um, makes us aware of something that's very important. And then uh, having a conversation with them and then ultimately with the leadership of the university to say, this is a priority for the university. I think it's. I think we can make it a legislative priority, and then have that conversation. And so, it really, it ends up being a collaborative process where there are a lot of voices. And really, ultimately, though, the the kind of final decision rests with, I'd say, kind of me and the president to some degree, as to say this is a this really is a university priority. Because if I get conflicted somehow. I ultimately go to the boss and say, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, he breaks the ties at this point, right? Well, that makes sense. Is this the first time you've worked this closely with athletics when it comes to a state issue or have there been other times? 
That's a really good question. I, I don't think we've worked quite this closely before. We have a really good relationship with athletics. This wasn't the first time I had met Bob, for instance. We had we had inter interacted before. And so um, we, we certainly have worked on other things, but nothing as in-depth or as consequential um, to the entire state as this, I would say. This really was a... Uh, a, uh, a, a deep dive and a, and a really intense process to where we were working together to, to get um, to get some language that that works. And Bob, I, think, I, know, I know in the intro, Bob, that that you we explained a little bit about your position, but your position is not of the athletics department. So help no. our listeners understand why that was important in this as well. No, absolutely. Thank you, Karen. I have, I, I always describe, I have the most unusual job in higher education in America. I'm the athletics integrity officer. And there's really one other position like that. And it's at Rutgers, which copied the position. Uh, it's an independent position from athletics. It, it sits outside of athletics in the office of ethics and compliance. It has a dotted line reporting structure to the board of trustees and the president. And uh, the goal is to ensure athletic integrity at, uh, at Penn State, which can get a little complicated because it could be pretty expansive at some level, because almost everything that affects athletics that could be bad could, could fall under the integrity window. I was going to say that I think Zach's office and, and, and particularly mine, but also athletics had collaborated at, at pretty successfully when sports betting was legalized in Pennsylvania. And that set the, that probably set the paradigm for how we work together on this one, uh, that, that they would, that they had their contacts, they knew the legislative priorities and they could help make what we wanted, uh, known to the legislators and, and, and get to that. And, but, but a big piece of my role is after law changes or after development comes, how do we implement that on our campus in a way that, in a way that complies with law? in a way that complies with Big Ten standards or NCA standards or in shifting standards, which has been a lot of what we've done. So I would say to you of the big issues that I've dealt with, and NIL is a big one, I think sports betting was also a huge one on the institutional level, particularly because the Pennsylvania legislature and, and wanted, to, wanted to go down that path as, as aggressively as they did. And I think Pennsylvania is now either the number the number two or number three monthly handle state in the country. We, we rival Nevada in sports betting uh, monthly in our handle on it. And New Jersey is the lead, but we're, we're very, very, very close. Uh, now that's become kind of a mainstream issue. So we see a lot of issues and, 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 you know, you, you being an expert in college sports knows better than anything else, whether it's Alston whether it's O'Bannon, whether it's the advent of name, image, and likeness, whether it's the changing structures, college sports is, is in a massive state of change across the board. And so my position, which initially was more investigative and to assure that we were complying, now becomes how do we prepare for the next wave? How are we meeting it? Are we meeting it in a way that is consistent with the law? but also consistent with our, uh, with our values and our standards. And that's always a, always a high-level uh, inquiry. I, I'm very proud to say that I think we do take a proactive approach on so many things that come to us and try to shape it to really fit 
both what our what our values are, but also the highest and best purpose for our student athletes, who is Sandy Barber, our athletic director, always says are our why. So you also have 23 other campuses, I believe, in your in your system. And Zach, you have that same approach. I mean, not everybody, you're the only division one program in, of the 24 campuses, but you still have to think about what's good for the greater good. I'll let either one of you respond to that. How do you, how do, you do that? I, I'll jump in on that one because I do have some high level oversight on, on, on big issues coming out of the Commonwealth campuses. And we have 19 that, that, that as you say, play sports either at the NCAA Division Three or the USCAA level uh, as part of their own conference. And Maureen Cooper and Ryan Airy, who oversee that process, are in the offices that adjoin mine. Uh, I think I have a dotted line, Mo has a dotted line relationship with me, uh, but those are very important programs in both assuring, both in, in assuring enrollment, matriculation management, but also in just really creating community on those campuses. So they're very important. And I think we have to create, we have to create and educate on the same level there. So. Division One University Park set up a program to review NIL, to review the disclosure period. I sit on that committee. We've set up a parallel structure to look at the Commonwealth campus ones that are coming in. Now, they aren't coming in as fast or as furious. They're, the values are smaller, but the opportunities for entrepreneurship, for student athletes to use their name, image, and likeness as their rights of publicity are just the same and the values that that advancing those goals are the same that that they're educational that they're that they're they're, they're they put students in a better position for a for a career engagement uh assuming they're not going to be professional athletes at the division three or ucaa level it still gives you the same structure and we're reviewing those in the same criteria as we use at university park and this is why again collaboration is so important at, at, at our leadership level because uh, I, yes, my office does represent um, all of the Commonwealth campuses as it does University Park, and um, we're responsible for taking their, uh, you know, wants and needs in mind when we're trying to, to do things like this, um, but I am not nearly as aware of, of the Commonwealth campuses' athletic programs and their needs and, and how unique they may be, just as I wasn't a, a really um, uh, an expert in any way on NIL at a Division One university. So we really relied on the expertise around the table to kind of bring us to, to a, a good place. And then they relied on my expertise and my team's expertise in terms of what's possible legislatively and politically. Yeah, that, it's really amazing. And then the other factor, and I, I, one of you mentioned this, but what does the Big Ten think? And I'm curious as to how much that their perceptions, again, in a larger footprint than the state of Pennsylvania, but what their perceptions are for the NIL bill, did that come into play at all? Well, we, we did look, there are a couple of other uh, Big Ten states who had done, done similar things. And we looked at specifically, as I recall it, Ohio and Michigan, I believe, as as uh, other um, states who had gone through a similar process. and. You know, in my uh, conversations with my colleagues at those universities, saw that in particular Ohio was pushing hard uh, for an NIL bill and around the same time frame. Um, but we didn't really share language, or at least I didn't 
kind of share language or details with our colleagues, frankly, because everything was moving so fast in that month and because it, it was very specific to Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania institutions. We have worked together at the national level to try to, to get you know, Congress's attention on this. As Bob mentioned previously, we really were relying on Congress to you know, step in here and legislate nationally to provide one, um, one singular uh, set of rules for the whole nation. And, and unfortunately that, that didn't come together, hasn't come together yet. And so we have this patchwork, but we, we basically made the decision if we're gonna have a patchwork, we better be part of it. And let's let's make the best patch we can here in Pennsylvania. And, and so it, I'd be interested in Bob's perspective on whether his uh, colleagues around the Big Ten had an opinion about this. I think everybody in the Big Ten who, who, who moved in the way we moved, which was toward toward getting a bill done uh, shortly, either, either either before the July one date or shortly or shortly after, did it with the idea that they were uncomfortable in not having guidance. Uh, so I think that would be be the structure. There are a few states where in the Big Ten footprint where there isn't a, a state law, but I think one of the fear the fears of a state law is that that we thought that we we thought and maybe still think that eventually there will be a larger national standard, whether it's be a congressional action or or agreement. And we thought that it would be much harder to get the genie back into the bottle in, in states in, in a state where there wasn't that law. We're seeing that we're seeing that across the board. I also think that that there is a welfare argument in this process for student athletes that from going from no use of your name, image, and likeness to an absolutely un, unmonitored, unfettered process of your use of name, image, and likeness might be a tad might be a tad disconcerting and, and bumpy. But I also think the other thing that's important is there were a lot of other interests at, at stake here, including the university marks and logos and things that have built up a tremendous value and equity for the university across the process. So it was important to have some structure in this space. And I think I think the one nice part about Pennsylvania, we, 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 we looked at the bill holistically. I think that we looked at it in a way that we all could, could, could like and live with it. Uh, which I think Zach will probably tell you from a legislative outcome is, is an A plus effort uh, that we're, we're, we were all were happy about it. Now I, I've, I've heard from some big 10 colleagues that, and I think if this would be true nationally, if you looked at each of the state laws, having seen some, you now would be able to say, oh, this is what they valued in this. Uh, this is what they valued in this. Mississippi, for instance, which, uh, has allowed sports casinos to be involved in NIL activity, obviously has a big casino business in their state. So they were, they wanted that to be a part of that. Uh, but if, as I look at what our colleagues did, each of them had something different that they valued. Some valued a longer disclosure period versus faster ones. Some valued, uh, some valued larger carve outs uh, in terms of prohibited categories. So I think there was a, a it was a, a patchwork of what people valued, but I do think that that created a good a good outcome, and I, I think there was some collaboration. I would say that from a Pennsylvania standpoint, I think we were probably a few days ahead of our of our closest competitors in getting to a bill for the ones who didn't have one a few months back. Uh, and and I think if you were thinking about it, if you were if you were an athletic director 
and you were worried about your student athletes to have a completely un, un, unguided situation, I think would be a challenge. You wouldn't have any basis. You almost have no basis by which to educate in that scenario. I think that's a good point because I do worry about that for division two and division three programs. They just don't have the staffing to be able to think these things through. And having been a division three athletics director, I understand how things can go very quickly and people can just assume that they can do it before asking questions. Is that something you, you worry about as well, Bob? It's definitely something I worry about. And, and it, it is, a, it is a, 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 a still an area where there are dozens of pitfalls for every institution, regardless of your approach. Some who want their student athletes highly involved, some who see advantage in certain aspects, some who would like to shut it down, all have some risk in doing that. And I think the best way to, if you were to think about it, to manage risk is to, is to educate exceptionally well, have a framework to guide it and, 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 and set up standards. And then that will help every university, no matter how large or how small their enterprise is, operate under that framework more easily. Zach, any thoughts from you on that? No, I, well, I think Bob nailed it there. I, I think it really is about, uh, you know, education up front for everyone. And uh, I, I absolutely could understand your point there about, you know, staffing challenges at smaller universities and smaller programs. I think that's a challenge. I would say even at, even at the largest programs, though, I would hear probably that we have staffing <laughs> challenges here because of the number of student athletes and the number of programs. And so there's, it's, it's always going to be a challenge. Again, the, when we were thinking through this, we were really thinking about that framework of, um, of what, you know, good for the university, good for the student athlete, opportunities with guide rails, and really always thinking about this through the educational lens as well for our student athletes. Let me just ask one thing, you know, logos and marks are really important. Where did that end up in this process? Are the athletes allowed to use them or not use them? They are with permission. So what we, what I think that the, <laughs> there's been some question marks about the language that ended up in the bill because I think if I'm Bob's going to correct me, I'm sure, but just for just for the fun of the conversation, it basically the law does not grant an athlete a right to use the mark or the logo, but therefore it gives them an opportunity to, with permission from the the holder of of, of that uh, of that logo. Is that a good way to describe it, Bob? Or are you going to get more? I, 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 I no, I think that's actually <laughs> exceptionally straightforward. Uh, you can, you can, our, our student athletes would have the ability to access it under, under, under the normal process, we would give rights to use it. Now, the easiest way for that practically is for them to partner with it with some with an existing sponsor who has rights to use it. So that's the easy part. Uh, I think the first thing that came in was a was was a situation where a student athlete would be endorsing a local clothing store which actually has the rights to, 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 to sell apparel and, and, and manufacture apparel or create apparel with our brands on it. So that was an easy one. I mean, it's a little more complicated for a single athlete in a single relationship to approach the university licensing committee and ask for a use permission. I mean, that is, it's not impossible, but it takes a certain size of deal uh, for you to do that. But there, there, it is a good policy, and I think it creates a balance between uh, 
a balance between protecting things that are valuable and connected to the university and giving student athletes an opportunity to, to develop and, and work around that and leverage their, their, their participation as well. So yeah, it's an open, it's an open question for us. It's, it's available, but it doesn't, the law doesn't, doesn't give absolute permission in that way. And I think that's probably the right aspect. We, 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 we talked about it a lot internally is what would happen if you were on a pro team, would you have the rights to wear your uniform in a commercial activity? And the answer is you might, <laughs> but you also might not. So that's how we've looked at it. I like that. And, and the, it's always better to ask permission than it is to try to ask for forgiveness, right? Yep. <laughs> Last question for both of you, just kind of on a bigger scale. Athletics is such a huge part of Penn State's brand, outreach, identity. What things do you keep in mind as you execute your daily responsibilities? Well, you know, when it comes to Penn State Athletics, the things I keep in mind are, are that um, big part of the brand of the, of the public's um, uh, the, the public view of that brand. And so for so many uh, of, the, of the legislators and staff that we work with on very important issues, budget issues, other legislative issues, some, some regulatory issues, the, the opening piece of the conversation is, how about that game on Saturday night? Um, and so in some ways, it's a, it's a good tool for us to use. It's, it's a really nice icebreaker um but we're very cognizant of things when things go wrong when there are controversies for instance uh or other things uh, that bad that might be happening also might then limit our ability to have that icebreaker conversation again i, I don't think it's ever limited our ability to to make a good argument in, in terms of more funding or things like that but just the visibility of these athletic programs on national tv really for many 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 Pennsylvanians, athletics is the way they view this university. It's first and foremost, the number one thing they think about when they think about Penn State, it's Penn State athletics or Penn State football. And so most of the time that's a, a blessing and, it, and, it, and it's, a, it's a tool that we can use, utilize, but sometimes it can become a challenge in one way or another, and then we have to work through that. So it's, it's, it's very much um, front of mind, whether we'd like it to be or not. Well, I think that's actually where my job kind of comes in. And that one is it was created to, to make sure that the university is honoring its values, despite having this large, important enterprise that that's a key constituent part of who, who we are as our uh, as our identity. And, and I think more or less Penn State does a terrific job with that. I also think, as you know, probably better than anybody, Karen, so many parts of how we know universes, we know them from their athletic peers. Uh, we, 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 we don't look at Penn State singularly as an institution, as one of the largest employers in the state, one of the great research institutions in our country. We look at it as a member of the Big Ten, or we look at it as a rival of Ohio State, or we look at it, we look at it as, 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 a, as a power in Eastern college football or national college football. So we, we tend to think about universities that way, whether it's a default or a shorthand or just an important way we think about universities, which is why athletic programs have such a high level of, of, of impact and effect on their campuses. 
This has been an outstanding conversation. Thank you both, Zach and Bob, for bringing your expertise and your sensitivity to a very fast-moving situation to the conversation. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I, I enjoyed it tremendously, and it's always great to see you and Zach. Bill, yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City.